All right, fantastic. Hey, got a couple of things uh, just to remind you of. Next week is kind of the week we've designated uh, is kind of the kind of the not that we won't we won't take anything else after next week, but uh, but obviously we uh, our children's center is 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 that's just an exciting thing. It's an exciting thing for the life of our church, and it to me it just shows who we are and uh, basically basically doing the best we can do to uh, to train and to teach children. And uh, in a culture that uh, uh, that obviously is hard uh, to to te- teach and train, but to, to be able to equip them to be who God's called them to be, to me, is as important as anything as we do here at Indian Rocks. And so, uh, so anyway, I want to again, I've, I'll tell you about. I've been telling you about this for about the last three or four weeks. And uh, next week is kind of that that week, and uh, and and you can pick up one of these out in the lobby. There's a there's a table out there with a video. There'll be some children's ministry people. Obviously, by the way, they're real excited about this, and so uh, and so you can pick one of these up. And uh, what we were asking, what we're asking people to do, is just to you can just to give to uh, that uh, children's center. Uh, with there as many of us as there are here. Uh, it, again, I, uh, it, it's, not, it's not some people giving a lot, it's a lot of people giving some. Does that make sense? To me, that's how it happens. That's how it works. So, uh, so if, if you think to yourself, oh, what I can give is just not that much, I'm here to tell you, when you add it together with a whole lot of us, it makes a big difference. And so that's what I've been telling you every week, and I'll have one more week to tell you, is that what concerns me most is, uh, is, that, is, is the number of these uh, that we receive. That is, people who are either giving to it one time or they're like Martha and I are doing. We're, we've just added a little bit more every month to what we're what we normally give. And so, uh, and so that's th- this is how we'll know. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind grabbing one of these, you'll get them at the table out there. And uh, and then we're giving you again another week to to kind of pray about it, ask God what He would have you do. And uh, again, I just ask you, just uh, just as your pastor, if you're part of it, even if you're not part of our church. I've had several people come to me today that, that, are, that are winter residents, and they said, oh, but we want to be a part of that, which I just thought was so neat. So, uh, but if you feel like, obviously, that obviously it's an important thing to do, then, uh, then you can do that. So, uh, so anyway, there's a table out there. I'll remind you at the very end with a little video plan. That's where you can uh, find these, and uh, if, uh, if you'd like to do that. Uh, so anyway, good deal, good deal. All right, if you have a Bible today, go ahead and turn to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Uh, you know, we have been in a series that's kind of, uh, this year it's kind of paralleled Christmas. Uh, at Christmas time, we, we, just, we just talked about who Jesus was, because that is really what Christmas is all about. Because in reality, you ask the question, what's the big deal about a baby who was born? But uh, it's, so then it's about not just that a baby was born, but that who he was, that is, who Christ is and and then what he came to do. And I don't know that there's another time you're going to see that parallel um, in, in how they fit together as much as today. And um, I, what I'm going to share with you today, because this, during this series, we've, we've been talking mainly about what Christ came to do. And what I would like to do, we're going to talk about the cross today and, 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 and the picture of the cross. And the title for today is What Happened at the Cross? Because there are a lot of questions that people ask, you know, what's the big deal about a guy who died on a cross? In reality, um, nothing, because there were hundreds of thousands of people who died on crosses, Roman crosses. 
But when you put into and take into account of who he was and then what happened at the cross, then it makes it a huge deal. And so you, you see those things. So we're going to, there's a lot we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of skip over uh, again, just because there's just not enough time to put all of it together and to talk to you through about all of it. But basically we ended last week with the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. Well, just so you know that Jesus was taken after he was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, he was taken to several trials, right? And just so you understand, it was late at night, you know, when he was arrested and, and he was on the cross by nine o'clock the next morning. So all of the trials, all of that stuff happened all night, and they had him first thing the next morning in front of Pilate. And you know, and then Pilate sent him to Herod, and Herod sent him back to Pilate, and, and to have all that happen before and up to nine o'clock is, is, now you see what a big deal it is, uh, and you see how unjust it was. And so you have then this, this picture, and that's where I want to pick up with you. Uh, what I would like to share with you today, what happened at the cross, these are, these are the things that Jesus said from the cross. Today is a powerful message, not because I'm sharing it, but because these words that Jesus shared from the cross give you an insight into what happened at the cross. I have shared several of these with you. In fact, you'll, if you've been here very long, you've heard me share these. But, and, but I share them in, in snippets, is, is in different things that he said. But never all seven of them. There are actually seven things that Jesus said from the cross. And so I'm going to be going pretty quick today because I want to do all seven of them because there is something that you can see in all of them. But together, that gives you a, pretty clear picture of what happened at the cross. And so that's the thought today. That's the thought. I've prayed for you uh, and saying, just ask God, God, open our eyes and let us see what happened at the cross. Perhaps for some of us, see it afresh and anew. Perhaps for some of us, we've maybe known the stories and known some of these things, but we've never truly understood what they meant. So, so that's going to be today. And so uh, next week, uh, we're going to be talking about what the cross accomplished, and and you'll see you'll see the parallels because let me just let me just share this straight up with you. This is the foundation of everything that we believe. Obviously, who Christ is, but this what he came to do and what happened at the cross. This is this is what it this is this is what it's based upon. This is the picture. You'll see it. It'll be clear today. And uh, as I like to say, this is one of the most powerful messages. Not because I'm sharing it, just because, well, Jesus is sharing it. And he's giving you a glimpse and a look into what happened at the cross. Now, as I'm going to go ahead and, and there are seven of them. Number one is forgiveness. Now, let me go ahead and tell you this. Um, is that there's a natural division between the G, things that Jesus said. The first, the, the first half of them and then the second half. The first half. Uh, were said before darkness came over the whole land. The darkness changed everything. You'll see the things that Jesus said had to do with the things, if, if you will, of this world, uh, the things that, the earthly things that represented who he was. But, but the second part of it, it, it steps up and it, it takes a, whole, a totally different 
look, and you need to see that before you can understand those. And you'll, you'll, see, you'll see it all clear in a clear manner. So, so just, just hang with me here. But, so number one is forgiveness. Now something neat about, about this one, Jesus is, is put on the cross. He's put on the cross with, with criminals, thieves on either side of him. And uh, it says in chapter 23 and verse 32, it says two others who were criminals, uh, were, uh, they were led away and they were put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, okay, uh, there they, were, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Remember, just so I just throw this out to you, crucifixion, crucifixion was something the Romans obviously did. It was a means of execution, but it was more than execution. It would be a lot easier just to, um, just to execute somebody in, their, in, 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 in the jail, because you know, they had the place there and they could just execute them, um, you know. Therefore, the crucifixion was, was meant to be public, right? It was meant to be in front of everybody as a deterrent, usually, political deterrent. And so you have then this picture of, really it wasn't Pilate that did it, but the religious leaders wanted to make a statement about Jesus, that basically that you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to wipe this out because the religious leaders wanted it back on them. You need to trust us for those things. So it became this incredible picture. But this forgiveness issue is something that I think a lot of times people don't stop long enough to see what is, what is Jesus saying here. Okay? So criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, first thing that he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And they cast lots for his garments. But Father, forgive them. Now, a lot of people, when you, when you look at that one, you think, well, Jesus is talking about forgiving us. Not really. I mean, that is the purpose of the cross, forgiveness. But this is more of a picture of Jesus forgiving those who had done this to him. All right, for, our, for God, their Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In other words, this is an example. In fact, we just talked about this in January. Our first series of this year was on forgiveness and the importance and how God expects us to forgive others for the wrongs they've committed against us. Well, think about this with Jesus and what they'd just done to him through the scourgings and the beatings and the, and the lying, the, the testimonies that were lies against him. The conviction was unjust. All the whole thing was, was and, and, and the picture here is, in Jesus, in his humanity, um, that he was forgiving, asking God to forgive them. You know, you can't forgive unless you can pay the debt, right? Unless you can pay the debt, then you can't forgive. We talked about that at that time too. So Jesus here is for actually forgiving those, okay, uh, for what they'd done to him. So forgiveness is the issue at the cross. That comes later, that comes after the darkness. You'll see it. it we'll, we'll make it sure it's clear. But this one happens to be with, with those who are around him. Okay? Number two. Number one's forgiveness. Number two is salvation. This is one of the great pictures on the cross. Uh, and I have shared this with you before, uh, but, but not in its whole and how it fits with everything else. But I want to take the time to make sure I refer it to you it, because it is so simple. But it, but, it, but it contains a lot of strength and power to it. Take a look, if you will, in Luke chapter 23, now in verse 39. It says, one of the criminals uh, who, who hanged railed at him, saying, 
hey, aren't, aren't you the Christ? Won't you save yourself and us? I find it to be a pretty cold-hearted criminal that can mock another guy who's dying with him. This guy was pretty cold-hearted, right? And so he decided to, to mock along while he's dying himself, right? So you, you get him saying, hey, if you really are who you say you are, you know, he's just making fun, mocking. That's railed. That's what the word railed means. And, and, then, and then the other one, this is the interesting one. The other one, that is the other criminal who was on the other side of Jesus, says, rebuked him, saying, uh, don't you fear God? Okay, now I find that incredible. You're going to see, you're going to see in this other criminal something incredible. Number one, you're going to see that he knows who Jesus is. And he also understands what Jesus was doing. So as I've told you before, the gospel can be summed up in who Christ is and what he came to do. And then understanding your need for what he came to do. And all three of those are found right here in this in this passage. Number one, he knows who Jesus is. That's why he says, don't you fear God, right? That's, a, that's an amazing statement there at the cross. Since you're under the un, same sentence of condemnation, and we, and he goes on to say, and we indeed justly. You may not think it to be this way, but I think it to be an incredible gift to be able to see yourself and also to be able to see your sin or your own wrong. Most people, especially in our culture today, they try to deny, right? Uh, they try to deny that, that well, you know, and if, if I have done anything wrong, it's not near as bad as everybody else. It's always that way. But it says here, we indeed, it says, we indeed justly. It says for, and this guy is actually, this is, it's almost a confession of, you know, we're receiving what we deserve for the things that we've done. Okay. I've always heard that, you know, that in prison, everyone's innocent, you know. Uh, but this particular picture, this guy was saying, you know, that we're here because we deserve to be here. Right? But this man's done nothing wrong. So he, he, he talks about fearing God. He talks about Jesus being sinless. And then he goes on, and this is what he says to Jesus. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Well, that's another, I mean, that's kind of a crazy thought, right? And you do understand that, that Jesus is hanging on the cross with him. And then in a matter of hours, they're both going to be dead. So it means this thief knows what's going on. He knows who Jesus is. He knows that this is much more than just an earthly execution. We don't know how, I don't know what but I'm so glad that it's here because this little situation teaches us a whole bunch, okay? And so this guy understands who Jesus is. He understands what Jesus is doing. He understands his own need, his sin, right? And he puts his faith and trust in Christ. That's his, just the simple gospel message shared right there, the thief on the cross. So what happens? Well, this is the second thing that Jesus said from the cross. First was, Father, forgive them. Second is this, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Truly I say to you, today. You understand, you understand that piece? 
you understand what today means, right? You know, it's like I like to say, I looked it up in the dictionary, and it, you know what it means. It means today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, think about that statement today. First of all, it means that there's no such thing as soul sleep, you know? What a lot of people like to say, well, you know, dying is like you go into this hibernation before actually. Well, I've tried to share with people, especially if you've had loved ones, and we've had, we've had several um, just in the recent year, especially over this past year, of, of you who have lost people who are very close to you, spouses, uh, family, friends. And um, I always love to share in a service because the scripture says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And it is, it is backed up by this particular statement because Jesus said, today, right? Today you'll be with me. Another thing is, is, and again, I don't, I don't, my goal in life is not to attack other things, but, but it also shows me too that there's, there's no such thing as purgatory or any in-between thing. Why? Well, because if anybody was a candidate for purgatory, this guy was. I mean, think about it. I mean, he was a criminal. And he put his faith and trust in Christ there at the end. But hey, you need a little time to pay for more of what you've done. You know, that's what most people think. But obviously that, that can't be. Number two, uh, or number three, or however you want to list them. I've got a whole bunch of them. We don't have time to share with them all. Again, just what this little story means what it teaches us. Not what denominations and other churches say, but what does this story teach us? Another thing it does is that, you know, baptism really has nothing to do with you being a believer, like a lot of people teach today. Notice that Jesus didn't look at this guy when he said, remember me, and he didn't say, oh man, that's too bad. Hey, excuse me, can you take him down and go baptize him quick? You can put him right back up there. But no, 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 this guy went to be with him without ever being baptized. So baptism is just a picture. It is important. I believe if the guy had lived, the first thing he would have done was been baptized. Why? Because he wants to tell the whole world what happened to him. Jesus died for me, buried for me, rose for me. It's just a picture. But when you ask sometimes somebody if they're a believer, they, they'll say to you, well, I've been baptized. Well, so... This guy's a believer and he never was. So the question is not whether you've been baptized or not. The question is, have you ever put your faith and trust in what Christ did, who he was and what he came to do, right? Interesting, interesting. Just thoughts, just really, just logic, really. Last, and there's a bunch of them, but last, is that salvation really does not have anything to do with works, right? What do you, what do you mean, Jeff? Well, it's a gift. I can't tell you how many times. I can't tell you how many times that this is where, if you're gonna if you're gonna mess up, this is where most mess up. Is that yeah, you need you need what Jesus did at the cross, but you need, and they give you this whole list of things to do, right? Or, or don't do or whatever. And and to put pressure on you, I guess to go do them, they try to say that what you're not you're not a, a believer, you're not 
actually salvation is not yours if you don't. Well, I want you to know that this guy, on this, this criminal on the cross didn't have any good works. I mean, that's why they were executing him, right? He even knew, we're here, I'm here. He even admitted, the reason I'm here is because of what I've done. This guy was a criminal, perhaps a career criminal. And it just shows me this incredible picture of grace. I tell you, when this dawned on me, lots of years ago, um, because I'm, I'm here to tell you the importance of what I'm sharing with you. Anytime anybody thinks that they can earn God's goodness or God's grace, they've missed the boat on what the scripture teaches. Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of so that you can't boast about it. It's all over the scriptures and especially in this particular case. I mean, Jesus didn't look over at him and say, oh, man, it's a shame. If you could get down off the cross and try to undo some of the stuff you've done, that's just not the picture. That's not who Jesus is and what he came to do. He came to give you a gift, right? And it's a gift that you can't earn or deserve. That's a hard, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand. You know, that's a hard thing for people to understand is that the only, th the only way to get it into your life is by faith. If you want to understand grace, by grace, through faith, just look at the thief on the cross because there's no greater picture of grace than Jesus granting salvation to this guy dying you know, on a cross with him. It's an incredible picture. Incredible picture. And I want you to know that Jesus said, today you'll be with me. I don't know, I think it's interesting too, you know. I love inviting people to our church. I love inviting people to our services. And I can't tell you how many times this has happened. I say, hey, won't you, won't you come to our service? And, and how many times they say, you don't want me at your church, you know. The roof would cave in if I walked in, you know, or some silliness like that because they see themselves as, as not being worthy. But in reality, guys... None of us are, are we? That's why Romans says that all, for all have, right? So all of us need what Christ did for us, you know? And all of it by his grace, right? Grace is a gift you don't deserve, which there's not a greater picture of that than this criminal on the cross. I find that amazing. Guys, that's why they call it amazing grace. I don't know, right? It's a great picture. All right, so number two, number two is salvation. Number three is responsibility. This is the third thing that Jesus said on the cross, okay? I'm gonna try to move a little faster because I wanna get, get through all of them. But this is, this is one that you rarely hear talked about, and most of the time, whenever you hear talked about, it's, it's usually mis, mis, misinterpreted. But let's take a look at it real quick. But standing by the cross of Jesus uh, were his mother, Mary, right? And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, we're reading from John 19, right? And so this is at the cross, and you got Jesus sees his mother and he sees John, uh, one of his disciples standing nearby, and he says to his mother, woman, behold your son. Now, 
most people look at that because they don't, they don't take the time to really look at it. This is what happens with so much of the scripture. They, don't take a, they think that Jesus is, is looking at Mary and say, you know, look at me, your son. That's not what he's saying. Read the rest of it. He says, woman, behold your son. And then he said to John, behold your mother. So what's he doing? Jesus is saying, mom, look at John. He's now your son. John, that's now your mother. And it says from that very hour, John took her home to live with him. Why? Well, because the responsibility of taking care of parents was left to the oldest son. That's why he got a double inheritance to take care of parents and others in, in their older age. And so, and so it was Jesus's responsibility so obviously Joseph had already died or there would be no care for his mom to pass on to John. We don't know how that happened. But basically all this is is something for us to learn at the cross is that Jesus is on the cross and is still fulfilling responsibilities that are his. I mean, he was God with us, God in the flesh, and yet he was still in the flesh and he still fulfilled the responsibility that was his. It's pretty a neat thing to take a look at. And there's a lot of applications to it if I wasn't trying to share with you the entire picture today. Okay, number four, number four, is what I'm gonna call payment. This is the fourth thing that Jesus talked about. Now, it's at this point when darkness hits. Okay, and this is where it really picks up steam to where you really need a good understanding of what happens that really helps you see, okay? Matthew chapter 27, it said from the sixth hour, now what's the sixth hour? I've shared this with you before, but I love sharing because we always have new people in our church. According to military time, zero hour is midnight, right? But it, the way they did time was 6 a.m. was zero hour. So the sixth hour was noon, Jesus was put on the cross at nine o'clock. And so for those three hours, we, we have recorded everything we've, had, we've talked about up till now. All right, the Father forgive them, and today you'll be with me in paradise, and you know, woman, behold your son, that one. Okay, so that's all happened, but some, something changes at noon. Something majorly changes at noon. Let's take a look at it. So from the sixth hour, that is noon, until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to know that these final four, five, six, and seven, I think happen in rapid succession. I think they're said one after the next. But here's a picture that, that I don't want you to miss. And I have, I have shared this before, but never in the context of the entire thing. But he says, my God, my God, why is I forsaken me? I want us to think about what was happening? What changed at noon? Well, the lights went out. Okay, that happened. But why at high noon? What's, what's the big deal? What's the symbolism here? There's a lot to this. 
In fact, let me take it back a little bit. And I've all, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, to really get an understanding of the cross and who Christ is and what he came to do, you need a good understanding of Passover. Well, if any of you know anything about Passover and the plagues, do any of you remember that one of the plagues was darkness, three days? And there just happens to be three hours of darkness here, right? For those of you who have ears to hear. There are so many There are so many things that God has put there for those of you who want to know. I think that's why God puts a high priority on those who seek. And he makes a promise to those who are seekers that you will find if you truly want to know. It's there to be found if you truly want to know. But I have got to move on, right? So so darkness. Well, also, as I look in the scriptures, you think of my God, my God was forsaken me. That's a direct quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. But what's happening here? Is Jesus questioning his father? Why are you let this happen? Not at all. Not at all. It's a picture. Forsaken. Uh, in fact, uh, many people, you know, God forsaken. It's always been a picture that we've used because I think of this particular passage here. Is, is anything that's God forsaken, obviously there's this picture of that God's not in at all or that God is separate from. But here's the, here's the thought. Let me just kind of throw this at you, right? Now, if you're like me, go ahead and open your mouth and start thinking. That's what I do. Whenever something hits me, I'm like, okay, so go ahead and open your mouth and get it ready and I want you to think, right? In the Bible, not tradition, not movies, but in the Bible, how was hell described? It's number one, it's described as a place of outer darkness. It's also a place of suffering, weeping, gnashing of teeth. And it's also, I think the greatest description of hell in the Bible, not in the movies, but in the Bible, is separation from God. I think that to be the greatest. So if you thought about what was happening from 12 to 3, darkness, right? Forsaken. You see, Jesus didn't just pay for sin. He became sin. And I want you to understand that you have this picture of of Jesus, if you will, going through this, because it all changed here. And going through this particular time, and I believe it all started, I believe it all started when the lights went out because of the symbolism that you go back to Passover, even up to this time. And so in reality, he was paying the penalty. That's why I called this payment. My God, my God, why don't you forsake me? Because he's letting us know he's been forsaken. He's God turns his back on him and he and there's a separation from God which is part of what hell is and so when you'll get darkness when you put it all together you see what Jesus was going through on the cross for you and for me and so when I think about that to me what really ramps it up and you try to get a perspective on what was actually happening because I get the question often, and it's a good question, by the way, how in the world can one guy 
pay the penalty for everybody. How can one person do that? Well, it's because of who you are. You're able to do what you do. In order to offer forgiveness, you have to be able to pay the debt and to pay it in full. Open your mouth and think about that. So how in the world could Jesus offer you and I forgiveness only if he paid it? And so when you see what happened to him, I don't don't think words can truly describe what happened. As the intensity of what fell on him, as you understand the scripture, as God's justice and mercy mixed as payment was made so that you could be forgiven. Amazing to think about. In fact, your mind kind of, I think it kind of overloads trying to even figure what that would be like. You wonder why Jesus in the garden was under such stress. He knew this was coming. He knew this was coming. And so when I think about it, I've used this illustration before, but I can't think of one better one because this one really throws it, throws it to you. But when you think about who Jesus is, how in the world could he truly make that payment? Well, it's because of who he was. If he truly was God with us, then his abilities, his ability to, to, to pay, to suffer, are infinitely more than you and I could do. Now think about this for a second. I've, I've shared, again, I've shared this with you before, but there's nothing better to help you understand. Um, say, that there was a, say that there was a family, right? And, uh, and you, have a, you have a father, you have a, a mother, and you have a four-year-old. Well, something, this is fictitious. I'm not thinking of anybody. This is just a story, right? Something happens to the mom, either a car accident or a disease, and she dies. And this husband and this boy are, are, are left with loss and grief, right? Well, the four-year-old cries and, you know, I want my mom and that kind of things. But then after a while, he'll go out and play. But the husband will grieve weeks, months. He may never totally get over it. Why? Because his capacity to grieve is so much more than a child's. Does that make sense to you? Therefore, because of who Jesus is, his capacity to pay so far exceeds ours that it was all dumped on him. So when you understand the garden, when Jesus said this cup, that's the cup he's talking about. But so many times, people don't truly understand, they don't truly understand just what happened at the cross. But when you get a good perspective, such love, right? Such love. For God so loved, right, the world. So therefore, payment, payment. As you put these together, this was the first one, first statement after uh, the darkness. All right, the next one, of course, then they go on, they'd misinterpret what he says. Is he calling out to Elijah, you know, and they all share the different things. And then take a look at five is what I'm going to call humanity. Now, we'll do this one quickly. 
A lot have been made of this, but I think it's just, it says after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. There's a picture in, of Jesus written about 700 years before Jesus was born. It was in Isaiah 53, and it talked about the one who was to come, who would be dried up, and, and obviously is so dry that his uh, tongue would cleave to his, the roof of his mouth, and like a pot shirt, I believe is the old way it said. And so there's different things that go on in here, but obviously through the loss of blood and, and the extreme thirst, it just shows that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was also man. He was, he was God with us, but he was. He did become part of his own creation. So it's a great picture here too. But, uh, but I think one of the great reasons that he said, I thirst was he was so dry. There was a couple other things he had to say, but he was, wasn't going to be able to say them. You'll see it in the next one, which is number six. I'm going to call number six satisfaction. Okay, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, uh, said to, the, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine was brought, uh, uh, stood there. And so they put a sponge full of the sour wine. It's on a hyssop branch. Here's another quick thing. The hyssop branches is always symbolic in the scriptures. That at Passover, again, I'll tell you about Passover. It was the hyssop that was was told the Israelites of, of what they were to put use to put the blood on the door. Again, it's it's all it's all there if you want to know, right? But today is more of a, is I want you to see a bigger picture. So on a hyssop branch, they put it up to his mouth. It says, when he'd received the sour wine, he said, all right, it's finished. So you see, as soon as he received it, so the I thirst was almost a picture, getting enough moisture in your mouth so I could say a couple other things. And the sixth one is, is finished. And what, what would that mean? Well, if you understand what he'd been going through, then it makes perfect sense what it is finished means. Obviously, it is finished. Um, it was a Greek word. I've told you this lots of times. I love talking about this at the Easter time of the year. But putting it in concert with all of the rest of these, basically what he's saying is, I'm done. Therefore, paid in full is what this, it is finished is not a great translation. Paid in full is the best, is the best translation. And so you have this, in fact, this, it's just one word. I have it, I've told you before, it's up in my office, and I have it calligraphied, and, and I have it framed. It's just the word te. And then telestai, tetelestai, it just means paid in full. And so what it, basically it says, done, done. I've, I've made the payment, therefore forgiveness, forgiveness is available. That's what it means. It was almost like a finish line being crossed, right? And to me, it's one of the greatest words in all of the scriptures. And um, letting everyone know that that's been accomplished, accomplished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. Number seven is sacrifice. This one's a, is easier. This is found in another passage. So if you want to know what happened, it was now, he goes on, it says about the same thing, but this is Luke's version. It says now about the sixth hour until uh, there was a darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed, okay, it says in the curtain of the temple was torn in two. We'll come back to that in a minute. In fact, that's how we're going to start next week. And then Jesus calling out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Says when he breathed out, then he breathed out his last. He actually died. Because the wages of sin is, so he tasted death for us. 
Now, a lot of us are going to die physically, but see, the picture here is not that. That's what happened at the cross. It's an incredible thing to think about. I want you to understand, too, that some try to teach, you know, that Jesus went to, you know, hell for three days or something like that. That's not what I read there. Father, into your hands I come at my spirit. So why? Because it was all paid for. He didn't have to pay for anything else. Why? Because it's finished, right? There's so much superstition and so much tradition that makes its way into truth. That's why I love doing the Simply Christmas and then this time, too, just for you to see what it simply says, right? But he died, and then obviously the centurion said, wow, this is had who this had to be. So as you think about these things, after the darkness, I want you to see that I think it was in rapid succession. It was my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We've already talked about why I said that. I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Kind of seemed to, those four of them happened after all after the darkness. But I think happened kind of in rapid succession as he was closing it up and finishing. And then Jesus died after only six hours. Don't you know that many of these guys would live, would live 30, 40 hours on a cross? But this is a picture of what happened. Now, as I close, that's what happened at the cross. That is what happened at the cross. And this is what makes who Christ is and what he came to do so important. And the question is not whether you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a Catholic. The question is, have you ever truly understood who Christ is and what he came to do? Like the thief. And have you ever understood your need for what he did for you? And then basically after that, it's just a step of faith to saying, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust you here. And that looks all kinds of different ways. So as I close, as I close today, next week we're going to pick up, pick up on what it accomplished. And that curtain, that veil that tore, we're going to talk about that next week because it represented separation from God, right? But separation has now been removed because of what Christ accomplished. That's next week. But as I close today, I wanted you to see because this is, this is the good news is that he died. But we don't, we don't serve a dead Savior, right? That's what makes this time of the year such an incredible celebration. Because he not only died for us, but he overcame death for us. That is the resurrection. We really look forward. And we, you know, we are going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, right? But I wanted you to see because I can't tell you. And this is, this is the great failing of today is that the reason that people don't look at the good news as good anymore is because nobody will talk about the bad news, right? And the more, and the more of the bad news you understand, the gooder the good news becomes. Does that make sense to you? And so nobody wants to talk about anything, you know, bad, you know, or you're all really basically good. Well, no, you're not. Aren't you glad you came, right? <laughs> if you were, then why did Jesus die? Why did he do what he did? But when you get a good picture of the bad news, the cross and all those things, you come back to what motivated God to do what he did, and that's because he loved you. And when you see what happened at the cross, which was today's title, only love could be a motivation to do what Jesus did. And that's good news.
That's good news. All right, let's all stand. We'll have a closing word of prayer. All right, come on up, uh, David, and close us. Hey, it's good to see you guys today. Looking forward to the next few weeks as we talk about what the what the Christ, what the cross accomplished, and then we're going to talk about what happened at Easter or at the resurrection, and then what that accomplished. So that's going to be the next few weeks. Again, just the pictures that we look at are pretty awesome to think about. God bless you guys. Good to see you today. Headed to the guest reception. If you a guest with us, please stop by and introduce yourself. Remember the children's uh, center too. The table is out there. All right, God bless you. Have a great day. David, why don't you close this? Thank you, Pastor. And again, you can pick up one of these cards right beside the uh, children's table. There's a table with these cards, just invitations that you can give to others to hear the rest of the story at Easter time. We just thank you so much for being here today. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the cross and thank you for just seeing clearly today, Lord, what happened at the cross And Lord, we just sit here in awe, realizing that that cross was meant for us. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still separated uh, by our sins, Christ died for us. So we thank you for that today, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for your love uh, that put Jesus there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.